This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're joined by Attorney Wilson Byers to talk about how to prevent a lawsuit and what to do if you get sued. Uh, Can you prepare to not get sued? Are there steps you can take that will put you in a better position if you do get sued? So if you have questions about this topic, give us a call. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. If you can't get to the phone, shoot us an email. I'm the only one that's going to look at it. So if you want to change your name to Tracy or Jordan, we, we can do this uh, uh, with uh, with no names. Uh, our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. How's Oxford this morning? Oxford is great, Liz, and I want to remind everyone that tomorrow at the law school, uh, we will be having, hosting the 8th annual Martin Luther King panel uh, talking about uh, slavery and the legacy of Martin Luther King. should be a great panel. It's free to the public, and it starts at 1230 in the Weems Auditorium. And then uh, today we have a great guest on the show. Uh, Trey Byers is uh, a member of the American College of Trial Lawyers and also the American Board of Trial Advocates. Those are two very selective organizations. You have to have a certain number of uh, trials to, to, to jury and uh, uh, he really is a, a great member of the profession. Really happy to have him here today. Yeah, Wilton Byers as the third, as, as uh, some folks do. If you're a third, you're a tray. So uh, you're an attorney with Daniel Coker, Horton and Bell in Oxford. And according to bestlawyer.com, uh, you have been named uh, Lawyer of the Year for Product Liability Litigation uh, Defendants for 2018. And we're still in January. So congratulations. Congratulations and welcome to the show, Trey. I appreciate it, Liz. Uh, I, that's right. I'm Wilton Vance Myers the third. Growing up, I said I would never do that to someone else, but I've actually got a Wilton Vance Myers the fourth at the house now, so he's going to live with that too. Do you call him Quad? No, I don't. But uh, we thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the type of trial law you do practice. Uh, first, I want to say I've been practicing with Daniel Coker for 25 years, and as you may know, we've been proud sponsors of MPB for I think almost that entire time frame. So I'm very very happy to be here. Uh, My practice is focused uh, almost exclusively on civil litigation, the vast majority of which is defending personal injury and commercial claims. Uh, You want to try to avoid getting to trial, but as as Richard pointed out, um, 
it happens, and one of the reasons I'm here today is um, to try to avoid that if you can, because trials are expensive. Litigation is expensive, and so um, that's the topic. Well, okay, this is exactly what I want to know. How do I prepare not to get sued? I'm not a business owner, but I do own a house. Get, okay, well, go for it. The first thing I would say as a homeowner is um, this is all about risk management, okay? And risk management includes a number of things, including uh, making sure that they're not certain things at your house that people are going to uh, get injured on. But uh, secondly, in case that happens, you want to have homeowner's insurance. And uh, Richard and I were talking earlier. We've got um, we both got an 11th grader, among others, and they've started driving now. And um, there are certain things you just pick up on around the house, in the car, and other places that you can address and um, and hopefully prevent uh, any kind of claim from arising. From the homeowner standpoint, um, clearly what we've seen in the news a couple of times here recently in Mississippi, there's there's social guest laws. You don't want to, not Liz, that you would ever do anything like this, <laughs> but there, you know, you don't want to have minors at your house. Um, Consuming alcohol. We saw some uh, press about that last year and the year before. Just a bad idea. Uh, you've got a responsibility as a premises owner to make sure to uh, warn any of your guests of um, any kind of hidden danger and to try to fix those things that may be dangerous to them. And those are just things that you can do and notice just on a day-to-day basis around the house. We see just one other thing. I mean, Certain things will jump out to you, and most everyone thinks, well, this will just never happen to me. But it does. I mean, um, there's nothing special about being sued. It's just people make mistakes. If you've got a dog that growls at everybody that comes over, take note of it. Um, if you've got a place on your sidewalk that people trip over every time they come over, take note of it. And um, when you address those things, it really minimizes the chances that you're going to get sued. Yeah, I guess uh, luckily we don't have too much ice, except for you know, a few weeks ago we did. So that's where a lot of the northern homeowners have to worry about keeping maintaining their sidewalks and porches and things. Is that right? And, that, and that's right. And, you know, just as you would expect, um, there are parts of your premises that are far away from an entrance or an exit that you're not required to get out there and make sure that everything is pristine. You know, the last time you and Richard and I were talking, we were going to have the show, and there was a pretty good bit of ice and snow up here. Uh, the thing I would say, especially, and this, this goes more to the business owners, is if you know that there is a problem right there where your customers come in and out of the door, that's where you need to focus your attention. Um, and that just makes sense. And I suppose you know, some people are blessed to have already paid off their homes. I think with most mortgage insurances, you're required to have homeowner's insurance. But uh, if, uh, if you are inherited a home or if you've been lucky enough to pay off your mortgage, you're not required, I believe, to purchase homeowner's insurance. But it, it still seems like a very good idea. Well, it is, because what you want to do is keep an accident from turning into something that's just over. Overwhelming, and that's the that's the reason that you want to have homeowners insurance. Uh, you know, very rarely is there going to be a catastrophic injury on someone's uh, property, but if it were to happen, you don't want to bankrupt your family in defending that lawsuit because the lawsuits will happen. And you know, again, I, I, I get no uh, you know no money for saying this <laughs> whatsoever, but I'll tell you one thing. Um, Having an umbrella policy is very, very inexpensive, and that's the kind of thing that will avoid some type of catastrophic injuries well, to, we, to your family. 
We're so glad that we've got uh, our uh, attorney, uh, Trey Byers, on to talk to us about how to prevent a lawsuit. And we've already got a call. We've got from Hattiesburg. Uh, Wilbur has called in. Uh, Welcome to our show, Wilbur. Uh, Thanks. I have a question regarding a prize liability. Um, I work with a nonprofit, and we've been offered a seven-day cruise, and we would like to raffle it off. Um, part of the board for the nonprofit was like, well, are we going to get uh, incur any liability? My thought was to contract around the liability. If we're giving you the cruise, could you get indemnify us from liability regarding flight there, injuries, anything that may happen on the trip? Is something like that illegal? Is something like that uh, seen as possibly um, unconscionable or anything such as that in Mississippi law? Well, we've been talking about personal injury. Now um, you've got a mix of personal injury and a contract issue here. And one of the things that you can absolutely do to minimize your potential risk is address it in any kind of contract that you have uh, with another contracting person. Uh, the defense and indemnity part that you're talking about, there's some there's case law that goes both ways. I know we're not to give um, specific legal advice here, but I would just say from an unconscionability standpoint, there are different things that the courts look at. You don't want to have some kind of um, provision in the contract that shifts the, um, the potential risk to someone else without absolutely um, highlighting it. I mean, you can't sneak something in on somebody, which I know you would you would never do and you're not suggesting or anything like that. But those kind of things need to be in bold. They need to be uh, in uh, easy-to-read language. And, um, you know, if nothing else, it will certainly um, – uh, manage some part of that risk. That was the case. I uh, wanted to get some other information. I'm sure, and I'll do some other research with our uh, with our attorney to uh, you know triple and, and quadruple everything. Uh, thank right. you so much for your time. You bet. Uh, one other thing while we're talking about commercial, managing commercial risk is um, I know some of my plaintiff's attorney's buddies are going to get mad that I say this, but uh, you can include uh, things like arbitration agreements uh, in your um, in your contracts. Uh, those those things tend to minimize the expense in the event that there is some kind of dispute. Um, uh, arbitrations tend to be more private. You're not, your affairs aren't spread out all over the uh, newspaper, and uh, they tend also to be less expensive, although that can be debatable. Well, we're so glad that we got our call from Hattiesburg this morning. If you have a question, our topic is how to prevent a lawsuit. Uh, Our first advice was to inspect your premises. Uh, Look for any dangerous conditions. Uh, A good example is to purchase homeowner's insurance and also uh, don't serve alcohol to minors uh, who uh, who would be in your home. So uh, what what was some more? uh, What was your advice about uh, operating a car? Well, uh, you just pick up on things. Uh, you know, typically, you know, if, if you see uh, somebody, spe- and I'm going to go back to a child again here, uh, someone speeding around the house, it's not going to be an isolated incident. You address it. Address it immediately. I go back to the fact that most people think, well, this isn't going to happen to me. Well, the more warning signs that you ignore, the more likely it is that it will happen to you. And so... 
uh, speeding tickets, those those tend to show, um, you know, the proclivity to, to operate a vehicle dangerously. Running a stop sign, I know that sounds um, kind of trite, but, um, you know, that's, that's the law. Um, you know, I personally think that um, you ought to be discussing with people just uh, what you do uh, late at night, things like that. I don't want to say that nothing good happens after X time, uh, PM, but I mean, that tends to be the case. And, you know, these days, especially living here as uh, we do in a college town, uh, they're just Uber and taxi cabs and things like that. There's just no reason to have some of the younger people here, uh, and I think they get it, uh, driving under the influence or anything like that. So, Kid, again, Kids I mean, and these dogs, you got to be careful. Kids and dogs don't get you into trouble. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more with our guest, uh, Wilton Byers, about how to prevent a lawsuit, what to do if you do get sued. We'd love to take your calls, your questions. Our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 1-877-672-7464. If you're not in a position to give us a call, you can email us. I'm the only one that sees the emails. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. Now, if you're listening to us in the car and you're about to stop to go into the grocery store, don't worry, you won't miss all of our show. You can always listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash inlegalterms. It's also available on the MPB Media app. You can listen live. You can listen to the podcasts. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon, professor from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our guest today is attorney uh, Trey Byers, and this morning we're talking about how to prevent a lawsuit. And I love it. Uh, You guys in Oxford can't see our board, but we've got calls from Mobile Jackson and Horn Lake and and another one from Alabama. We love our out-of-state listeners. So we're going to go to the phones, and we're going to go to Mark, who has a question from Mobile. Thanks for calling, Mark. Good morning. Uh, My question is about more selecting an attorney. Of course, if you are being sued, you want the best attorney possible to be on your side. And if you're suing somebody, you want somebody who will aggressively go after the person that you need. Uh, I'm not going to go with one of those. We don't get paid unless you get paid, guys. It advertises on TV. Uh, And recommendations of friends aren't necessarily valuable in any number of skill sets. So how do I best determine the attorney and the specialty that will meet my needs and represent me without bankrupting me? 
Well, you mentioned um, not going with people that advertise, and I get that. Uh, but I, I will say that the talking to friends I do think is a pretty valuable resource, actually, um, especially someone who may have gone through something that you're going through. A lot of this will depend on what type of claim that you have, what side of the claim you're on. But there are a number of different resources out there. Uh, that you can consult with. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, about best lawyers and things like that. On the defense side, uh, you can go um, and try to find uh, organizations that aren't vanity-based, aren't something where somebody pays money just to get something put after their name. I would say absolutely avoid that. And if there is a way to research it, and on, on the Internet there is, I would be looking for organizations on both the plaintiff side and defense side where people have to have experience in the subject matter that you're concerned with and that they are recognized by their peers, not by being able to plop down $50 a year or whatever it is. Uh, there are a number of those. that uh, The two organizations Richard uh, mentioned earlier, um, ABOTA and the American College are, are open to plaintiff's attorneys and defense attorneys who have experience trying the kind of cases that you may uh, want a, an attorney to represent you on. Those are two examples, but there are others, and um, that's, that would be my, my suggestion to you, is you absolutely want somebody with not just, not just who tells you, I'm a litigator, somebody that uh, you can actually research and determine that they have uh, participated in the type of claim that you have and participated not just uh, early on in the rapid settlement of cases, but have actually tried those kind of cases. And I know we're here to talk about kind of trying to avoid that, but it happens. And sometimes you want somebody. Um, I'd say every time you want somebody who is uh, known that if uh, if the case doesn't resolve, they'll take it to trial. And Trey, I mean, you probably have uh, people. It's a relationship when you have a client, and so uh, you know that's that's something I think somebody who's looking for a lawyer should meet with prospective attorneys and see: Do I have a good relationship with this person? Is this somebody I can relate to and talk to? Uh, and I think you probably appreciate that when you have a client that you feel more comfortable with that way, too. Absolutely. Uh, one of my best referral sources, frankly, is other lawyers. Uh, the last thing I want to do is dive off into something that I don't have experience in on the subject matter. So I, I refer them to other attorneys. And I, I just you know got a call last week from one of my friends in Tupelo. And I got a, I got someone who needs to be represented in a case that you have experience in. And he'll be calling you within the hour. And he did. Thanks, Mark, for calling in. Uh, next, we're going to go to Frank in Jackson, who has a question about swimming pools. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, I had a friend of mine in Ohio who had a basketball court, a full basketball court, and a swimming pool in his backyard. And his family went on a vacation and came back. And they were served with two suits. One person got hurt on the basketball court, and another girl almost drowned in the swimming pool. And I told him, well, they were trespassing. Obviously, you know, they don't have a leg to stand on. But I was wrong that his insurance company really had to scuffle to settle out of court with these two uh, two people. Um, doesn't trespassing provide protection to a homeowner when someone gets hurt on their property? 
It absolutely does, Frank. Um, you were right. Your initial inclination was right. And I want to meet your friend who's got the basketball court and the swimming pool. That sounds like a, <laughs> like a fun way to cool down after shooting some hoops. But, um, you know, in Mississippi, at least, I can't speak to other states, but in Mississippi, there are three different categories of people who can come on your property. There's an invitee, and you owe those people a duty of reasonable care. And then there uh, are others called licensees, which is the second uh, category, and then trespassers, as you correctly noted, is the third. And your only duty in Mississippi to a trespasser is not to willfully injure them. So, um, you know, I hate to hear that, but uh, one of the things that I will say frustrates people um, is that uh, your friend turned the claim into his insurer, um, and the insurer may very well have said, uh, well, it's going to cost, you know, $25,000, $50,000 to defend these cases. I mean, they should ultimately be dismissed, but we'd rather go ahead and pay X amount of dollars for a certainty, a dismissal of the case, than pay an attorney uh, a lot of money because, I mean, that's, again, that's one of the reasons I'm here today. Litigation's expensive. But, um, I, you know, i got to tell you, Frank, I think you're right. Um, and I don't know the details of the case, but that would seem to be a pretty um, pretty tenuous case from uh, those standpoints. Now, one thing to keep in mind, I don't know, again, if your friend had uh, fencing around his property and that kind of thing. And if that's the case, then um, I think you're right on. Okay. Well, that was the point, that he didn't have a fence. Okay. That uh, that the, the swimming pool and the basketball court were considered some type of enticement for people to get on your property. Yeah. Is that a legal situation that you're enticing people to come on your property because you got the stuff and you don't have a fence around it? Yeah, well, I mean, I, all I will say is when we're talking about risk management here, um, Compared to the price of a swimming pool and a basketball court, the fencing would have been a, very, a really good idea, and you, you do want to do that. And there are some different um, legal um, terms uh, like attractive nuisance and things like that that you can that you can talk about. Uh, you know, again, um, unless there's some kind of past history of them coming on the premises and that kind of thing, I just think that um, the as I said, invitee. A pretty high duty licensing and trespassers, not so much. Thanks okay, for calling. I just have to tear down my swimming pool. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Frank. Uh, next, we're going to go to Horn Lake. David, we're glad you called in. What's your question or comment? Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I got a question about trees that are on or right out on or right on the property line or or just or just over the edge and they're hanging over your property line. If uh, if a tree's hanging like let's say it's right on the property line, it's hanging over somebody's driveway. Who's responsible for trimming the the limbs? And if they don't trim them, if it falls, who's responsible? Damages a car, say for instance, or a house or something. Well, here's. Number one, is it a healthy tree? I mean, that's the first thing I would be looking at. It looks um, healthy, but I mean, you know, yeah. this year uh, a licensed arborist, who knows? Yeah, I, I hear you. And then you um, have high storms and winds and whatnot. Yeah, um, you, you know, this all this goes back to uh, notice, really, um, on the part of the property owner. You know, I, I cannot tell you how many property line disputes result in lawsuits that ultimately the case ends up costing so much more than a you know shared tree trimming would have done if it's right there on the line. But I mean, if the if you've got a tree on your property 
and let's say that um, unlike your situation uh, that you've asked about, that they're uh, dead limbs that are uh, falling off, I mean, that's notice to the person that owns the tree. And so um, I would say that person would probably not be in very good shape, but someone, um, if there's a uh, have no prior problems, a healthy-looking tree, like you say, I mean, we're not all held to the standard of being an um, expert arborist. All right. Well, thank you, David, for calling in. We're going to go now to Alabama to Lynn. Thanks for calling in. Uh, what's going on, Lynn? Um, can you hear me okay? Uh, it, yeah. It, yeah. Okay, very good. We have a tradition. Uh, we sell hybrid daylilies, and a lot of people in Mississippi don't know what a daylily is and what a tradition to collect them and swap them around is but we grow about 500 varieties more or less for our own enjoyment but we have a one day a year kind of open garden is what we call it and you know it just turned into where they say it's a sale well it's more a sale like a yard sale than it is like a business but uh over a two-day period it's kind of word of mouth and um and just tradition that we'll have as many as maybe a thousand people come through the yard um, you know, and do we need something like a sign that says owner's not responsible for injury or, um, or, or something like that for people who might trip over one of our deadliners or who might slip in the wet grass or something like that? And will our homeowners cover us in, in that occasion as well? Well, on, on every insurance question that I've ever gotten, I would say the first thing you have to do is look at the terms of the policy. Um, uh-huh. And, and I've, got, I've got some serious questions about whether it would cover that. But in terms of the warnings, I, you know, I w- my, my advice to clients is always no generic warnings like, you know, owner will not be responsible. I would warn of what you consider to be the mo- most likely risks. And um, I think a sign is an excellent idea. Uh, I think going through the premises and just um, documenting the fact that you've checked it out doesn't doesn't appear to be uh, anything that uh, stands out to you as a dangerous condition. But with that many people, uh, Lynn, coming on the property, I think a sign um, is, is a good idea just because at least it will alert people that you know that this is uh, there will be a lot of people here, and you need to you need to um, be careful. Also, I see these signs. I work in the agriculture industry, and I'm on a lot of farms, farms that have registered animals and farms that do have events with horses and things, and they do have the signs up. It's kind of a generic wording, and I can't quote it, but it just says owner's not responsible for injury or, or something like that, meaning, you know, that you read the sign when you come in, you know that if you fall off your horse playing roping here or something, you know, you're, you're your own boss out you know, and I've even gone wonder to the point do we need to have them sign something when they come up, you know, the, as release. But uh, I think that's a little extreme, but you never know what people these days. Yeah, you may run a customer or two off like that. But I, I'll say this, that language you're talking about on the horses having defended a couple of equestrian places uh, that had rodeos and stuff like that. The um, that language that you're seeing there even in Alabama too, I, I would virtually assure you, is based upon a statute, and uh-huh. the statute just goes right through and tells exactly what the warning sign needs to say. You're in a little bit of a different situation because, you know, uh, you're not lobbying the Alabama legislature like the people who run in the rodeos are. <laughs> no, that's true. That is completely true. And like I said, this is not a business. It's just more like um, a traditional once a year, and several other people 
know, do it too, and they have their sale on a different weekend, and kind of a group of people just make the rounds. I've never heard of anybody being sued over an injury, but um, because flower people are usually not that way, but right. you never know of who you might get or what you might get. So, so you're saying a sign's a good idea, and I, I just really probably should check with my homeowners people to be sure, what, you know, just how far they go. I would. I certainly would. Okay. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Liz. Let me let me cut in and say one thing right here um, that again Richard and I were talking about earlier. Let's say somebody does trip um, and and um, hurts themselves, and it's it's no one's fault. They just didn't they weren't paying attention or whatever. Um, a little bit of good bedside manner goes a long way to avoiding a potential lawsuit. I cannot tell you the number of cases that I've been involved in on the defense side where when I finally get a chance to talk to the plaintiff in a deposition or whatever other um, arena it is, mediation, it, they say, you know, if they had just expressed some empathy, and I'm not suggesting that if someone's hurt uh, on Lynn's premises buying flowers, that you go up and say, I'm very sorry, or this is my fault, uh, or anything like that, but expressing a little bit of empathy is a form of risk management. Fantastic, and we appreciate that advice. Well, we're going to go to uh, Roger in Florence before we take our next break. Uh, Roger, we're glad you called in. Go ahead. Well, thank you for what you're doing, and I appreciate Trey and the dean. Uh, as they may know, I was with that firm for a decade or so and learned a lot about litigation and got very interested 30 years ago in, in mediation and, and became one of the early advocates. I, As a Chancery Court judge, it was a real valuable uh, partial solution to the docket problem because although attorneys at that time didn't didn't like it, uh, they learned that mediation can actually get you on to the next, to the next uh, case and the next client uh, and get something resolved, which ought to be the attorney's objective anyway. It's the client's case, not the attorney's case. So these are all principles that I, I wanted to be sure that got mentioned on this program. I've heard the word mediation once so far in the program, so I wanted to be sure that uh, you you experts, you current experts, and my expertise is a little out of date, but, but uh, talk about the option even prior to litigation, of getting a professional mediator who is an expert in sitting between two people with a dispute and helping them try to reach a solution before litigation. Or if litigation has begun, then certainly it's a familiar process. So please talk about the merits of, of mediation uh, as a as offsetting the problems that this whole program is about, that is the expense and stress and waste and all that of litigation. Thanks a lot. I'm going to hang up and, and, and listen to you. Um, thanks again for what, you, for what you're doing. Right. Thanks for calling in, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Um, I think I've, I've been following you some on letters, letters to the editor and the Clarion Ledger some, too, but I do appreciate your comments. And I, I mentioned mediation a minute ago. And probably should have led with it because, I mean, again, litigation is expensive. And people think, well, yeah, well, my insurance company is going to pay the lawyer. Well, there is a time value of money. And uh, lawsuits take up time. And uh, I, I am a big proponent of pre-suit mediation, as Roger mentioned. Um, I've got um, I, almost all my practice defense-oriented, but I have a few plaintiff's cases, too. 
we're setting up a pre-suit mediation right now. Have not filed suit. I want to see if there's a way to avoid the uh, time and the stress on my client uh, by seeing if we can reach some kind of a negotiated resolution early on in the case and um, let her put it behind her. It's not so much about me moving on to the next file. It's about um, my client not having to be put through what what is going to be a long and arduous process. Um, the same is true with respect to claims that are in litigation. Uh, I would recommend, and the federal court system uh, strongly encourages, early settlement uh, discussions, uh, early settlement conferences in order to avoid these things. We haven't talked about expert witnesses yet, but you think lawyers are expensive. Um, you know, If there is a case that requires treating physicians, engineers, architects, things like that, I mean, the time to try to resolve the case is before uh, incurring those expenses because the dollars can be put towards resolution instead of expense. Well, Wasn't it a little bit like, uh, you know, we talk about your, your brother is a surgeon here in town and a great one. And, uh, you know, people who take care of themselves uh, over time have fewer expenses going to the doctor than if we wait till things get really bad. And I think it's the same thing with lawyers. I mean, I'm, I'm a transactional lawyer, so for me, what I want to do for my clients is try to help them stay out of a lawsuit by writing a good set of instructions. But a lot of times people don't want to pay for lawyers up front, and they wait till things get bad, and then they need you know a litigator or a mediator. And so I can't encourage people enough to talk to a lawyer when you start your business and, and try to avoid some of these problems down the road. That's absolutely right. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. We'll talk to uh, Ronnie in Jefferson County and Sue in Mobile. Today, our guest is attorney Trey Byers, and we're talking about how to prevent a lawsuit and what to do if someone sues you. We've just gotten a tiny bit through our our list, and uh, we'll try to get some more, but we're also taking your calls and your emails. Our number is one 877 mp be ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. Uh, send us an email if you can't make it to the phone. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Gershon, uh, Richard Gershon is our expert in Oxford, and we're also joined by our guest, Trey Byers, an attorney. And this morning we're talking about how to prevent a lawsuit. Some of the tips we've already gotten is uh, inspect your premises for dangerous conditions so that uh, try to fix it or warn people about it. Some preventable things is don't serve alcohol to minors or those visibly intoxicated. Be careful operating a vehicle. 
uh, watch out for those pets and also uh, see about homeowners insurance. Uh, if you've missed part of our show, we also got some advice on how to select a lawyer. And now uh, we very patiently from Jefferson County, uh, Ronnie has been has called in. Go ahead, Ronnie. Hello. Hello. Good, good morning. Hello, how you doing? Look, um, my Ronnie. I appreciate you for taking my call. But, but this is the deal with my problem. Uh, I had an opportunity to file a lawsuit through a, through a company, an uh, owner company. And uh, I give my uh, paper to a, I contact a lawyer and give my paper to a lawyer. And uh, he, he, he was a, a criminal lawyer. He wasn't a civil lawyer, so he gave my paper. My paper to another lawyer was a civil lawyer, so I asked him, why did he do that? I give it to him. He said, we didn't give it to that lawyer because he was a civil lawyer. He was, I said, well, you didn't took my paper. I said, they give my paper back. So he, he never would give my paper back, so he, he gave me the number to call his lawyer. So I called the lawyer, but his secretary told me, they don't even know nothing about me. So it's been over a year and a half, and what I want to do for him to give me my favor back, so I could go ahead and pursue my lawsuit. So what do I need to do to keep pursuing him? Uh, well, Ronnie, first of all, you need to get your, your papers back as soon as you possibly can. Um, in, in every state... Uh, there is uh, something called a statute of limitations that gives you a certain period of time to file your lawsuit. Uh, the general statute of limitations in Mississippi is three years, but there are claims that have to be filed within as short a period as one year. And uh, it makes me real nervous to hear about the year and a half there, not knowing anything more about your about your suit. But, um, you know, we talked about different ways to go about um, hiring a lawyer. And I would uh, recommend that you strong, strongly recommend that you look um, into just what uh, kind of lawyer may be locally there that practices in the uh, field that you've got your dispute in, and just go go talk to a new person um, because you've got a certain period of time that you're going to have to act, and every day that goes by is one less day that you um, that you may have under that statute of limitations. So you need you need to you need to act. Uh, I would not wait any longer. Um, my advice to you is to speak to somebody with uh, expertise in whatever subject matter it is that you've got your lawsuit, and maybe that person can help you with the communication issues that you've got with the other lawyer. I mean, get my paper back, right? Oh, absolutely. I yeah, mean, okay, well, well, you well, know, I so appreciate. It. I need to do something. You, you absolutely need to do something, and I, you know, again, I, I would not. Um, what's today? Today's January thirtieth. I'd have it done by January thirty first if I were you. Yeah, but I'm gonna try to jump with me. But look up, uh, one, one of my uh, people in, in my uh, community told me one time. I really just didn't want to jump on that too fast. Told me that I should call the bar association. Well, you know, I will say this. The biggest complaint about lawyers um, is the failure to adequately communicate with their client. And if you're having those issues, you just need to move on to someone else. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Ronnie, we're glad that you called in. Uh, we've got uh, Mike and George also are holding, but Sue's been on the longest. Uh, Sue, well, from Mobile, we're so glad you called. Uh, what's your question for our lawyers? Thank you. First of all, and I will try to be as brief as possible so that you'll be able to help the other people, too. Um, and, uh, 
my question is, if you put up no trespassing signs and they're ripped down and then someone comes on your property and gets hurt, and particularly if they're a neighbor and they've damaged the fence in the process, um, are you still liable? And I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. All right, Sue, well, since it's the second caller from Mobile, I'm already researching how to open my Mobile, Alabama office. <laughs> but, um, you know, the the issue about the no trespassing signs, first of all, very smart to put those up. Um, and secondly, uh, if they're ripped down, are you still liable was the question. Well, the question then becomes, are you on notice that they've been ripped down? Um, because if they, if you know that they've been ripped down, and as, as bad as this sounds, I know it's expensive to go to the hardware store and get another set of signs, I put the signs back up. Um, but, you know, if you're not, almost everything we've talked about here, as you can kind of see, there's a common theme here, is do you already have notice of a potential uh, condition? Uh, because that that'll get you in trouble. If the person, if you can somehow prove that the person who ripped the signs down is the one who's been injured, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, I don't know if you were listening earlier, but the duty to trespassers uh, is just not to willfully want will, willfully and wantonly injure them. So you're in pretty good shape in Mississippi uh, if somebody's trespassing on your property. Uh, that the sign is obviously an extra level of protection. And if they've been ripped down, that, you know, and you know that they've been ripped down. Yeah, I, I hate to say it again, uh, but I'd go through the expense of replacing them. And uh, you may want to contact somebody, um, a lawyer or somebody, if you have a pretty good idea about who's been doing that. Because um, you, there are protections you can get. Uh, these neighbor disputes, again, uh, can end up being very expensive and time-consuming, and they often result in just, uh, you know, you don't even want to be home. Um, because that's you know that's where most people spend our time, and you got somebody right next door to you who's creating a problem. All right, thanks for answering that for our our listener Sue. Next, we're going to go. Uh, Mike has been holding on on the road. Please drive carefully. Uh, Mike, what's your question for our lawyer? Well, um, I'm a gun owner, and I also have a dog, and I hear a lot on the radio now about. Um, companies that offer protection to help you out let's say in a true justifiable shooting in a home invasion and i was just wondering you know if god forbid i ever came up on that type of situation is it as bad as the commercials make it sound that you know i could be arrested and you know all kinds of stuff and then i also hear about uh, you know the people that were shot coming back later and suing the homeowner and same thing with my dog, you know, if uh, someone came in unannounced and, you know, the dog harmed them, uh, you know, what's the possibility of everything happening in Mississippi? And uh, I'll hang up and listen. Well, I don't do criminal work, but Mississippi, like most states, has laws that protect um, homeowners from um, having having to shoot someone if that if that's the way it it goes down um, any number of states have these laws that protect the homeowners um, I, I'm at a loss right now as to what it's a uh, it's a phrase that um, like castle law and yeah that's exactly right yeah thank you for that sure um, so you know if someone I go back to these three things invitee licensing and trespasser um, most of these calls are focused on trespassers, and that's interesting since that's the 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 least um, uh, the duty that you owe least to a trespasser. Uh, so, you know, I 
I'm involved in the civil side. They could. I don't see a case at all for somebody who's trespassing on your property, and uh, they come into your house. And to defend yourself under the castle laws that Professor Gershon mentioned or otherwise, uh, there ends up being a shooting. Same's true, really, with the dog bite. If the dog, what I'm thinking primarily of on the dog bite situation is is the dogs getting out. I've defended a number of those. Um, uh, But in terms of people coming on your property without an invitation, uh, the duty's pretty slim, frankly. All right. Well, we're popular this morning, and we uh, we love our uh, listeners from Alabama. So now we have George, who's called in. He has a question about sidewalks. Thanks for calling this morning, George. Oh, thank you. Um, my house is also in Mobile, Alabama, and I have a live oak tree in my front yard. It's about 20 years old, and the roots have started picking up a section of the sidewalk so that there's about a, I'd say, a five-inch piece of the sidewalk that juts up. And uh, I'm just wondering, is is it my responsibility to do something with that, or does that fall on the city? Um, Obviously, there are a lot of live oak trees in Mobile, Alabama, and a lot of the sidewalks are cracked and and picked up like that. So that's my question. Well, George, as soon as you said you were from Mobile and mentioned Live Oaks, I knew that this was going to be a sidewalk issue I'm, and because I've, I've seen that happen down there as I'm driving through a number of times. And the question on whose responsibility it is goes back to ownership. You know, is this on the city right away? Um, the safest thing to do, and again, a risk management measure on your part, would be to uh, contact the street department and find out just what is going on there. At least in Mississippi, um, there are a number of sidewalk cases, and nobody is entitled to a perfectly smooth sidewalk, okay? Minor imperfections uh, are to be expected. The courts have said that again and again and again. Five inches, uh, that's a pretty big, uh, that's that's not a minor deviation in my mind. So I, I think that needs to be addressed by someone. And it's, you know, at the start of the show on the premises uh, liability side, what you really need to be doing is either warn against or fix. Well, it's it's real hard to warn against a sidewalk uh, imperfection. So almost by necessity, it's something that needs to be fixed if if it is truly a dangerous condition. And so my first call would be to the city of Mobile Street Department to have somebody come out and take a look at that and see whose uh, property it is. And unfortunately, if it's on yours, I would I would seriously consider looking into having that fixed because the cost of repair is minuscule to the cost of um, someone coming over and breaking a hip. So that'd be my advice on that. Okay, I appreciate your advice. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling in, George. Just from my personal experience, I know uh, uh, there's a... uh, elementary school near my home that has a lot of cracked sidewalks and they've someone uh, took uh, you know fluorescent orange spray paint and uh, there's a good uh, two inches on either side of it to call attention to the uneven pavement yeah that's a good point we've got one more call our last call for the day is clarksdale cheryl thank you for calling in Yes, thank you for taking my call. My question has to do with medical product liability. Uh, my husband had to have a hip replacement replaced because it was defective this past 
uh, this past summer this happened. So basically, he's had three hip replacements in the last six years. We do have an attorney who's working on the product liability uh, case for it. But the thing is, uh, we are in a situation where we've never met the attorney. Everything we've done has either been either by phone or email. Um, and we don't feel like we're getting the updates we need to in a timely manner as to what's going on with the case itself and um, how it's going to be resolved. So do you have any tips or uh, suggestions regarding when you retain a product liability attorney, what the attorney's obligations are to stay in touch with you and let you know how your case is going? And I'll take it off the air. Thank you very much. Well, I'll start off by saying some of the state's best uh, product liability and medical malpractice lawyers are right there in Clarksdale. Um, I'm not going to plug anyone, but some very, very good plaintiff's attorneys there in Clarksdale. Um, it goes back to communication again. I mean, that's the big, that is what gets lawyers in trouble more than just about anything else. And, um, you know, the cardinal rule is never mix client money with escrow money. That'll get you disbarred. But the more common complaint is, is the one that you mentioned. Um, you know, I, having never met the lawyer before, my first recommendation to you is set a meeting, make an appointment, meet the lawyer. Express your concerns and see where it goes from there. You know, I can't really say anything uh, beyond that because it may just be that the messages aren't getting to the lawyer. If the messages are getting to the lawyer and the lawyer's ignoring you, you need to go in a different direction. Um, Being involved in a lawsuit is stressful enough. If the uh, flow of communication is not freely going back and forth, it just ratchets it up a level, and you don't need that. So... I would set up in-person meeting with your lawyer and just express your frustration and see where it goes. Well, we're so glad that Cheryl called in. Uh, well, we got to number one on your point list to discuss. Uh, really quickly, uh, if do, something does happen, let's say at your home, you know, God forbid at the flower sale at the man's house, if something does happen, uh, what should you do? Well, if you have insurance like he has, he had homeowner's insurance, just like there, I mean, whatever you do, um, don't just ignore the problem. These things rarely go away. A good bedside manner may make it go away. But the first thing you need to do, your insurance policy has strict requirements on immediately reporting because they want to investigate it. They want to see what the issues are before uh, that plan is moved or that um, spill is cleaned up or whatever else happens. So that's number one. And number two, Liz, if you get served with suit papers, do not ignore them. Just as I mentioned uh, to the caller down uh, in Jefferson County, there are strict time limits on filing lawsuits. There are very, very strict time limits on defending lawsuits. Um, 30 days is all you have to respond to a lawsuit before a default judgment can be taken against you in state court. And that, that time frame is even nine days shorter, 21 days in federal court. The time to do this is immediately uh, to avoid any potential problems down the road. 
communication. Everybody, everybody in the world needs to communicate better. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today in legal terms. Our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. Our board engineer in Jackson has been Jay White. Uh, For Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. We also have, oh, in in Oxford, we have Tracy Daniels. And thank you, uh, Trey. Trey Byers, attorney in uh, Oxford, for being our guest. Next is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be back again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.